Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, third down and five. McKinley went off the field. Derek Shelby comes in in his stead. And now you got a little razzle. That's all. Aguilar's going to throw the ball to Foles. <laughs> Second down and seven. Takes the clock all the way down. Hands the ball off. Into the end zone. Touchdown, Jay Ajayi. All right, caller, tell me this. You've got to tell me this because the end of last night's Eagles Falcons game was certainly entertaining. I feel like I um, had deja vu. Yeah, you did big time. But I have a but I have a football centric question for you here. Okay. Without with uh, trying to be as positive as possible, but it's a look ahead question. So I'm not going to moan and complain about last night's game and and the sluggishness of it or the multiple penalties that we kept seeing. How long do you think, as a football guy, how long does it take? Three games a month before we see a turning of the corner from what has clearly become preseason, it's regular season, exhibition games, basically. How long are we talking before we see a football game where you can sit down and say, you know what, that was, it might not have been great, but that was pretty much a quality product. I think between weeks like four and ten are probably the best football you're going to find because everybody's got it down. They've got enough on tape so where they can actually scheme against the other teams and game plan and go through what they're doing this year. And uh, everyone's not hurt yet. <laughs> By the end of the season, yeah. it's like half of the team is is the backup guys, unless you get really lucky. And then also after week ten or twelve, a lot of teams are falling out of the race, and you're seeing them, you know, play other players that maybe they wouldn't normally. So um, yeah, that's that's definitely what I think. But last night was awful football. Twenty six I mean, penalties too. It, Twenty it, twenty six penalties called. It was incredibly boring and slow and my gosh just like we expected these two teams to go out and play a great game because they're the Eagles and Falcons and they're both really good and what we got instead was just like the fourth preseason game only with starters do we have to accept the fact too because I was trying to think Okay, what fixes this? Like, like what gets us to, to week one? But the more I think about it, because I don't want starters, I don't want regulars playing a lot of preseason game. Right. Because if they get hurt, that's just stupid. Like if if so, if you have if you mandated or, or and you, you wouldn't do this, but if you said the starters have to play X amount and they did, and a quarterback went down and uh left tackle went down, you'd be like, Well, that was dumb. 
Is there anything that can be done? Because I've pretty much resigned myself to the fact that, you know what? It might just take three weeks, and there's not much that... that it's, it's not like you can flip a switch and change a system. Yeah, well, and part of it is that they don't practice anywhere near what they used to. Right. I, I mean, I forget the stat that I saw at the beginning of training camp, but how many practices the Packers used to have even 15 years ago as opposed to now they used to do two a day full pad practices and now it's like two hours and that's all they get to get out there in in full pad so when they get to week one they aren't really ready I mean look at the New Orleans Saints defense last year against the Vikings they had no idea what they were doing in week one and they turned out to be a really good unit by the end of the year but (laughs) they they did look awful you're right they looked awful but but in week one they seem like completely confounded by the ways of Sam Bradford last year And and you see a lot of that you see weird results you see the games with tons of penalties it gets off to a slow start I think almost every single year and then by midseason it starts to take off I would prefer that by far to either playing more starters in the preseason and getting them hurt or having you know guys worn down by week one because they're practicing in full pads and contact for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks I mean that they used to talk about this with Marty Schottenheimer how he would have these super tough practices all through the training camp and offseason. Well, two a days. Right, two a days and they'd be, yeah, hit, they'd be training, hitting yeah. every day, full pads every day. And by the end of the season, those guys were shot. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer it to kind of work the opposite way where, yeah, we're just going to be some ugly right. football first, but by the end, then we've got the good stuff. This might sound crazy at first, but hear me out. Is one potential, and this would not fix the problem, but is one potential avenue to explore putting less attractive matchups in the first three weeks and the marquee ones after? Because that that game last night, I think if you took that game and and physically plunked it into, let's say, week six, I think it's a different game, and I think yeah. it's probably a good game, yeah. and that's two good, good teams. Matt Ryan at times, and the uh, play call- calling was questionable as well, but Matt Ryan at times last night looked awful. Matt Ryan's not awful. Would a potential solution be to try and just stack the first three weeks with okay but not great or marquee matchups and then go with the marquee matchups, let's say, starting in week four or five because you know if you do that, you have a better chance to have a quality game. I don't know if that's the solution because you need to get people hyped for football with the great teams. And that's the right? problem. I, yes. And, and it's not like every opener we see is like this. I mean, it's probably random that there are some years that even if it's not the best game, it's still a lot of fun or still entertaining. And I'm sure that they would tell you the NFL, even despite all the penalties, which just made it brutal in its pace. Like, we're in central time, and I'm looking at the clock going, oh, my gosh. And I know and they the had rain the, delay, too, yeah. Right, I know they had the delay, yep. but it was just like, is this a college football game with how long <laughs> this is going? Yep. Um, so, you know, you, but I'm sure that they would tell you that people stayed till the end because even though it wasn't the best football game you've ever seen, it was really dramatic. Mm-hmm. And it was messy, but at the end, you were really excited to see what happened there when Matt Ryan completely botched it and his play caller completely botched it and that, and I What's wrong? What is Steve Sarkeesian? Give me a break. We got to we got to It's the same exact problems. Can I um can I reveal one of my write that downs for later? Sure, go ahead. That he's not making it through the whole season. That Steve Sarkeesian is going to be gone in Atlanta by like week 4 because that's a really good team. You see how much talent they have and Matt Ryan did not look right last night. Yep. Like I didn't think his arm looked right when he 
He threw a go route to Julio Jones that was like 15 yards short of yeah, him. It looked like a punt. Sort yeah, of. yeah, it just like yep. fluttered. He didn't have drive behind the ball, and maybe that'll improve as he goes along and throws a lot more real passes. But at the end, the first down, second down, third down are throwaways. He can't even find anyone to throw the ball to mm-hmm. at the end of that game. And then it's a fade route, like the worst <laughs> possible goal line play. They get a huge break on a questionable call. That keeps the game alive, which people would have been really mad Ille- about. If they illegal scored. contact is illegal a point contact. of influence, Matthew. Point Collins. of emphasis. Thank you, Kevin yeah. Seifert. Yeah, Kevin was on fire last night. On well, he's got the greatest job there is now, explaining what these buffoons are doing. I know. Now that and, is, and that, I feel bad for I feel bad for them because they're told to throw the flag on this, no, throw it on that. But my God, yeah, that that's a job that will uh, keep being relevant. I think if you're focused on the rules in this league, agreed. Um, so, but. You know, so the illegal contact, they get lucky, they get an extra play at the end, and you throw a fade route? Like, it's one of the least statistically efficient plays to do at the goal line. Even mm-hmm. when you have Julio Jones, it's an extremely inefficient play. So, I mean, they they fail at the beginning in the at the goal line, they fail at the end at the goal line. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy is not keeping his job for that long. And also, I would say, hey... Just keep in mind, last year, Pat Shermer. I was going to bring this up. In the red zone. I was going to bring this that up. That man was good. Falcons Falcons last night, last night in the red zone. After, by the way, an offseason of working on this very thing. Yes. So they. So this was not a good red zone team in 2017. This was a team that said, we need to spend an offseason working on this. With our coordinator and our quarterback. One for five last night. They stalled out on downs at the Philadelphia one. They kicked a field goal from the three. Uh, Ryan threw a pick from the Eagles 15. They did score a touchdown from the nine, and the game came to a conclusion, as you just talked about, on the fade route at the five. And I'm with you. And I can't emphasize this enough. The job Is it, is it a point of emphasis? The job, Yes, it is. It's a Vikings point okay. of emphasis. It's a purple point of emphasis. The job that Pat Shermer did last year, as a guy who has seen the Minnesota Vikings go through seasons in the red zone where you have no clue what they're doing and watching that again last night, it does hammer home how much you take it for granted when when a play caller and quarterback operate well there because it is – the Falcons were bad, but I will say I it's tough. It's tough, and when you make it look tough, it becomes very, very apparent how – how difficult it can be to score down there. Yeah, and it wasn't at all for the Vikings last year. It was really mind-blowing how good they were. And I think that that was a combination of Pat Shermer's creativity and Case Keenum just being really good at that. Because I don't think... I mean, Matt Ryan is, to me, one of the better quarterbacks in the league at his best. And he showed what his ceiling is. And when your ceiling is all-time great season, uh, then I'm going to have a lot of respect for you. Even though he got sacked and blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. I, I understand the criticisms of him not getting all the way, but when a guy is 50 games over 500 or something for his career, it's going to be pretty hard for me to say that he's not one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. But everybody is susceptible to bad game planning, bad play calling, and they get into a fourth down situation at the goal line to begin the game. And they stack in all the big guys, and they run against all the big guys. When the other team has Fletcher Cox and the best defensive line in the league, right? Yeah. And this is your solution. This is your play yeah, calling just, solution. Then you're I down. form 
to run yeah, up this the is, middle. Mackie and really? I, Mackie and I have always disagreed because he said he always has said, "Well, you you can't." Uh, he, I don't really like criticizing offensive coordinators because you don't know what the plan was exactly, and it's so e- easy in retrospect. And there are times where where we definitely, I think, cut them lots of slack. But there's also times where they do things, and you're like, "Dude, that was just stupid." Well, like what? To... You're banging your head against the wall because you fundamentally believe something that's flawed and should be adjusted. And we have the numbers too that if you run in the goal line when you have at least two wide receivers versus no wide receivers, you are way more successful at spreading it out at least to have wide receivers and get a couple more guys out of that box. You have way more success in the NFL than you do when you stack everyone in. So what Steve Sarkeesian showed us last night is basically he has no idea what the numbers say about the best play calls to make at the goal line. Mm-hmm. I, I, and that's not a guy that in 2018 is going to work because every other offensive coordinator knows these numbers. Right. Ding, ding. Matt Ryan's got him. Line pulls left. He goes right. Jones going to get underneath it. Julio Jones covered by Jalen Mills, but he's out of bounds. Oh, Came no. Down with it, but he's on the no, chalk. And it's don't do this. Second and ten incomplete. All right. Don't do this. One, ga- one, I don't, I don't one, ga- one game into week one, I give up. That was a catch. But, but what the hell's going on here? I thought we I thought we took care of this. That was a catch. Now we've got this again? There were several angles of that play that made it clear to me that the ball is resting on his body. Yes. And he's on the ground but in we, bounds. But, and then he slides out of bounds with the ball man, right on his body. I need help here. I need explanation from you. I thought in the Super Bowl we solved this by using the CS rule, common sense. No. I, I thought, but Apparently it, we did But not. we did, right? In that game? In that game, there were two or three questionable regular season catches oh, that we all said yeah. are catches. Yep. And they said, you know what? It's a touchdown. That's a catch. What the hell happened here? How do you overturn? How is that not a catch? I, w- I wish I could tell not you. Overturn? How, and how is that just not a catch? Our rules expert on the show, Kevin Seifert, did tweet last night that you know he was convinced it was a catch. So I don't know. No, but I, are we go- but I guess my question is this. To spin things ahead now, are we going back here again? I mean, we've already got this this concern about how much we're going to get um, penalties and potential ejections for what's now deemed to be an illegal hit. Are we now going back to also opening up the can of worms again on, on the catcher on what to both of us I think was a clear catch? I mean, that wasn't even that didn't even come off to me as being all that questionable. Yeah, I don't think that it's going to go away. Um, and that's your evidence right there, is that there's always going to be something that is outside of the rules or that they can't quite figure out because there's a lot of pressure in that type of situation for the referees. But, you know, they bring on the referee rules expert last night after the call, and he says, no, sorry, they got it wrong. <laughs> it's just, well, what, what are you supposed to do? I, I mean, these rules experts are great for like some of their insight, yeah. but also you want to drive to Philadelphia and punch the guy. Like, well, th- well what do I do about but this now? Not- You're telling me they just got it wrong down there, and they got to review it. They got to look at it. No, they saw everything we saw, and this referee in the booth also saw it, and everyone thought it's a catch, and yet they still can't figure it out. But we're not supposed to be back here. Like we we suppo- replay is always going to do this to us. We supposedly had this at least this part of the conundrum of rules somewhat solved. I thought this is ridiculous. 
And it's and by the way, it's Julio Jones. It's not some slappy who you think the ball. I mean, this this is a guy. The, everything about that just screamed, "Make it a catch! Make it a catch! Make it a catch!" and move on. And by the way, the game was also delayed. You didn't even. You barely needed to go to replay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get it, he, but you barely needed to go to replay. It was a catch. He is inbounds, <sighs> sliding on the ground. With the ball stuck to him and his both hands on it. And then it sort of comes up to his face mask area, but it's still stuck but it's to still him. it's still stuck to him. I'm He's with got you. it. That's I'm a catch. You. I mean, you know, when I watch those old games, Judd, I see so many catches in those games oh. that would not have been catches today that would have been dreadfully long replays and would have Absolutely. Okay. made everyone want to tear their eyes out. Okay, during the break, go back and watch. And, and I don't know what the consensus on this is going to be, but just, just for the sake of what you just said, Go back and watch the Lynn Swan Super Bowl catch, which is a juggling, miraculous catch. Go back and watch that and tell me if in 2018 now that's a catch or no catch. Does he pin it against the ground? Because it's play, but it's plays like that. I I haven't seen the play in years, but it's a phenomenal grab. But the point being is there was a time when common sense just sort of reigned, right? That's a catch. And for for that not to be. Oh, and one last thing too here before we go to break. I love this. Feel better about it now. Well, oh, uh oh, yeah, the boo birds are out. You just won a Super Bowl. Hey. Love is a the new fleeting year. thing. Do it's you new, now? Year, now do Viking fans believe us when we say? Don't go in your purple. These people are crazy. They're nuts. They threw beer cans at yeah. you. They booed a team that won the Super Bowl at halftime. Yeah. Okay. New Year. It's a new season. But are, are you? Fi- are people finally going to listen to us now? So when they go to the Eagles game this year, maybe they won't wear their their um, Kirk Cousins jerseys. Uh, Lin Swan play is a catch. Yeah. He. Okay. He's he came down and sort of turned his shoulder at the but end. That's but that's a catch. Okay. But to your point, there are a I lot just, there are a lot of catches from back in the day that are just accepted as catches that would have been debated and replayed over and all and, and somehow we moved on. Somehow we made our way by this and we and we succeeded in life, Judd. We got no, here. Well, and we also through the, all of the debates that we they al- didn't have, and we also didn't spend minutes of our lives debating something. We actually played football. Yeah, we spotted right, the right, ball. Right, right. We spotted the ball yep. where the catch looked like it happened, and then we snapped it, and then the clock ran, and then we all w- eventually got to go home. It's ridiculous. All right, uh, it is uh, Mackie and Judd TCL Broadcast Studios. Matthew Collar in for the first hour and a half or so today. Manny Hill will join at 11. Uh, When we return, I want to talk to you about how you, let's just say, might have influenced the decision on the roster spot. Yeah, we'll talk about that next. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. Okay, third down and five. McKinley went off the field. Derek Shelby comes in in his stead. And now you got a little razzle-dazzle. And Aguilar's going to throw the ball to Foles! <laughs> All right, Collar. So, I hope nobody played the RPO drinking game last night. Because oh if gosh. you played a drinking game of, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take a little shot of something. Every time Collinsworth <laughs> or Michaels says RPO, you were in the hospital by the fourth quarter. 
What? Okay, you wrote about this, all right? I did. So I get I get the fact that this is a relevant conversation, and I get the fact that this is a relevant term, and it's something that's probably very important. But is everything an RPO now? Uh, they were call- yeah, actually, they were calling actually, I'm an RPO. <laughs> I I showed up this morning feeling like that, and then I looked in the mirror and realized I'm an RPO, and <laughs> we're actually rebranding our station as RPO Radio. Oh, is that um, what it is? Yeah, Run Pass Option Radio. Ra- actually. Radio pass. So that sounds great. Um, but <laughs> it's just 1500 RPL. So, <laughs> so, so I, I did write about this uh, because it, it has been my thought that the conversation about the RPO in this offseason, which has been just ad nauseum, is a little bit overstated. That, yes, RPOs will be a part of teams' offenses, and maybe some teams who didn't use them before will use them, like the Minnesota Vikings, for example, because they use them in Philadelphia. John is going to bring them here and, and put some of them in. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the RPO is always has always kind of been part of the conversation. It's just... It was what worked for Nick Foles pretty well with his limitations of his skill set. So they use them a lot. It doesn't mean that it's some cheat code that like every team is going to be using all the time. And there are play actions and there are run pass options and they kind of look alike. I mean, I was asking someone the other day, like, okay, so I'm watching on TV. What am I supposed to watch for? And it's like what the offensive line do. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, that's going to be pretty hard for broadcasters to tell in just like in one watching, like, oh, you're supposed to watch the ball, but also the linemen and whatever. Yeah, right. So, so anyway, um, but as you saw last night, it's not some cheat code that just works all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and if you go back and look at the Super Bowl, they actually didn't use all sorts of RPOs to beat the New England Patriots. It was kind of a mixed bag, and they were part of it, but it wasn't as constant as the broadcast had made it sound. So it's not like this sort of new thing. RPO's been around for a while. I just felt like they I mean, they tried so to over the top. I, I just felt like like last night with Al and Chris when in doubt, they just yeah, called call it, it an RPO. RPO. Yeah. That looks like an RPO. Yeah. RPO right there. It's like I don't think it everything's an RPO, guys. N- yeah, and not only not only that, now I do know from a source that Chris Collinsworth after the Super Bowl went to some people to try and better diagnose it because he got criticized a lot for talking about RPOs that weren't RPOs in the Super Bowl. So I had heard that. Um, That's great in-depth reporting for you. But but, so You got a lot of sources. So so my guess is that he... Like was getting it right more often last night. Al seemed to call RPOs more than Chris did last night, right. so I but think that, you're probably on the right track. So, the, so that's the problem, though, is that if Al Michaels is just calling it like, "Oh, it's an RPO," well, I mean, his columns were supposed to be like, "Oh, well, if you look at the left tackle, it wasn't really." You right. know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's not going to do that. But yes, <laughs> you are right. I mean, it is so over the top, and I. I look forward to as we get down the road a little bit away from the Super Bowl last year and the Eagles that we will not have to hear about that incessantly because it's just not going to be as big as they talked about. All right, so tell the story now, which I didn't I did not r- realize cuz I, I didn't see your uh, Twitter feed on this yesterday. Tell the story Thanks about for following, the Judd. Tell the story. You know what? I was busy, okay? I had a lot I had a busy day yesterday. Yeah. I had a lot going on. Tell the story about the Viking player or how you influenced, I should say probably, how you influenced the Vikings in their roster decisions. So, uh, Holton Hill made the 53-man roster, and uh, 
the Minnesota Vikings in the fourth preseason game gave him an opportunity to kick return. And he had, I believe it was 56, might have been 53-yard return. But for all those millions of people who are watching that game, they remember that it was a great play for Holton Hill on that kick return. And it was his first chance to actually get back there and return one during the preseason. So Mike Prefer, the special teams coach, was talking about this yesterday about them giving Hill an opportunity to kick return and you know how special teams kind of played a role in, in him making the roster. And he said, yeah, George Edwards saw some some video in somebody's article of him in high school, and we were like, man, that's amazing. we got to give him a chance. Because like, that the, the tape blew me away from when he was in high school. And it, remember, high school is a little different when you talk about this guy because he's from Texas. So it's like high-level yeah, high school. big time. It's, it was not like my high school of 120 people, but like big-time mm-hmm. football. So they saw this, and they thought, well, why don't we give him a chance to kick return one? And that helped his cause. I'm not saying that it got him on the roster. So anyway, uh, Prefer's like, whose article was that? And I sort of slowly <laughs> raised my hand because I wrote about Holton Hill and talked to his defensive backs coach in high school, which, again, Texas Football. The guy has a. I love. I, that's my favorite part. He's got a defensive school. backs coach. They've got a nickel back coach. <laughs> yeah. The nickel package coach. So I, I talked to his defensive back coach from high school to kind of get a better perspective on him, and the coach sent me some of his tape. So I just embedded it into the story, and apparently George Edwards ran across it, and the dominoes fell. You're welcome, Vikings. I am now the assistant to the assistant special teams video, video coordinator. And and your paycheck for that is? Uh, you know, it's um it's a voluntary position more more so. You're the Dwight Schrute of the Minnesota Vikings. You're <laughs> yes. the assistant to the assistant, assistant regional manager. Is that a real position? Sorry. <laughs> I do want to know. I want to know <laughs> one thing here. I want to know how on earth with their with all of the staff they have at the TCO Performance Center of Performance now. How they didn't find this YouTube clip themselves. How it took Matthew Collar to have to unearth. No, it wasn't on YouTube. That's the thing is that it was. It, there is a site that uh, coaches use to post and players use. To oh, it, it was their, so it like, didn't originate on you. Okay, yeah. So they would have had to dug into this. I thought we did all this work. This other. I mean, I thought we did all this digging. I thought we talked to moms, dads, yeah. coaches, cats, dogs. This, this when the coach had Chihuahuas. to send it to me. It was pretty deep on the dark web to get there. So. Um, you're welcome, Vikings, and uh, I'll be interested to see if Holton Hill does get a chance to kick return at some point because you know they're going to give it to Mike Hughes uh, if Marcus Sherrills can't play, and probably he kick returns anyway. Hughes does, so yep. we'll, we'll see how that works out. But it's just sort of a I'm, prou- a, I'm a, proud of you. A funny, I'm little, proud of you. A funny little story, and actually the first time in history that anyone has publicly admitted that they read the articles. Really. I mean, not. I don't really. I haven't tracked the whole history. No, no, no. But for but for you, don't don't guys see. I I would think that you would get because you you do all the film breakdown stuff. I would think that you get a lot of feedback, especially from upset players when you misdiagnose <laughs> a a blocking scheme. Uh, that's no, happened you know, before. No, it, in the long history of this station, that's it, that's happened where uh, where guys can get upset about things they claim were not accurately portrayed to which i've always said well if that's the case then you tell us what the scheme was exactly going into the game and we'll never get it wrong right um and they say well we can't do that and i say oh too bad i i haven't had that happen actually and and one of the reasons that i haven't is because usually i 
am checking it with people. I mean, when I first got here, there were probably some times where I didn't have relationships with players yet, and it was like, you know, just trying to kind of go off the tape and whatever else. But uh, what I have built up now is enough people, whether it's former coaches and, mm-hmm. and, and good analysts and things You've like that. You've got a bunch formation that, guy, dude. I know. I have a bunch formation guy. Like, I have an, offensive, about that. I have an offensive line guy. That. I have an Eagles offense guy. I have a bunch formation guy. Is that so your what I do when I BFG do, on, on the cell phone? BFG. Uh, what, I, what I do... I got to um, call BFG. Almost any time that I write one of these things is check with players, check with coaches and things like that. So, you know, try to get it as accurate as possible. I think that's fantastic. I think the fact that you have a bunch formation guy might be my favorite collar fact at this point. I never had a bunch formation guy. You I never had we, a bunch formation guy? I think bunch forma- bunch formations were used back in my in my days covering the Vikings, but not, I don't think the the specific nature of uh formations and and how much the general media tries to to use the terminology now has really accelerated in like the last 5 years or yeah, so. Yeah. Which which is why I mean, can you imagine in 1986 if Al Michaels was calling a game. Is like, there's the RPO. You would never say that, I don't think, in 1986. Yeah, and I think a, a big part of it is just the access to the information. The, the the thing that inspired my article about bunch formations versus RPOs, and because and, I just think that there will be more bunch formations this year, and that's going to be kind of the trend people will look at and not as much RPOs. Sure. Um, the thing that inspired it was a pro football-focused stat about how often the Rams used it last year. And I would have never had that stat in a million years before. I would have had to watch every game and notice that they had, you know, a slightly higher percentage of using these, right? And that would be impossible. So there's so much more. And anytime somebody uses terminology in the locker room or in a press conference, I can go look it up and read about it. And so I've got a bunch of books at home and I've got all this different stuff, the, these websites that I use and PFF to, to ha- gather information. has changed things drastically. Oh, yes. It's completely oh, changed yes. the ballgame here. Especially the way that we look at like quarterbacks. Yep. I mean, because they go far beyond just grades. I mean, they go into every single detail. Yesterday I brought up to Mike Zimmer that Jimmy Garoppolo was one of the most accurate quarterbacks throwing between 10 and 20 yards. I mean, that's that's a stat you would never have otherwise. <laughs> and right? Mike said, really? Really, Matthew? That is he, wow! Oh, we're in trouble. Yeah. Well, it was more about I'm going home. It was more about the challenges that Garoppolo presents, and he is a very accurate quarterback underneath twenty yards. I don't think he's like a throw a bomb type of guy, right? But he's he's Brady like in his execution of the short passing game. That's Bradford's strength, right? Game. Uh, Bradford, you know, actually Bradford was really really good in the short passing game, which sounds simple, but it actually isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was unbelievable in the deep passing game. I mean, like one of the best I've ever seen at throwing it over 30, 40 yards accurately, mm-hmm. but it didn't get many opportunities to do that when they had no offensive line. But when he did, he was one of the elite quarterbacks in 2016 at throwing the ball deep down the field. The intermediate stuff was hard because, I mean, it's hard to throw a 15-yard dig route when you have no offensive line. So he didn't right. perform quite as well, but he was under pressure a lot. So there's a lot of different things to it, but it makes it more um, interesting to go out there and talk to the players because instead of just, so how do you feel about the 49ers? We can ask about really cool details and and get good stuff. The truth and lies behind the Vikings Super Bowl or bust 2018 season we'll discuss next. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN. 
Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You got two incompetent buffoons mixed up there. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I did. Yes. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Matthew Collar. Uh, you posted this, I think, this morning. The truth and lies behind the uh, Viking Super Bowl or Bust 2018 season, which is very intriguing uh, because the Vikings are definitely perceived as a contender for the first Super Bowl championship in franchise history. But that being said, they also reside in a conference that is off the charts good, probably. I, I think I told you this on the Thursday show, but I went through the NFC yesterday and I started with this question. Who can you eliminate? Like, who's just not going to be a factor? Who do I know is going to stink? And I hit Tampa Bay. And then I hit, well, I think Seattle's not going to be good, but they've got a really good quarterback, so I can't be absolutely sure of that prognostication. Arizona, I think, is not going to be good, but I'm not positive on that. So basically, where I landed was... I think Tampa Bay is going to stink. And beyond that, you either have really good teams, good teams, or or you always have that small group of teams that could surprise. Yeah. And that, so that's, so that's that's the issue. If you're the Vikings, the issue is you're coming off a 13-win season. You feel that you upgraded at quarterback. You feel like you are in great shape, and you've got an incredibly difficult schedule in a conference that's going to be very, very competitive. Right, right. Uh, and, and that's the tough part of Super Bowl or bust for the Vikings is just that somebody else who's also awesome at football could end up beating you. And what are we supposed to say about that? I I mean, the Eagles, like they didn't lose much. They lost their number two tight end. He's a good player, but I mean, I don't think that's going to make the biggest difference in the world. And then they add Michael Bennett, who's an incredibly good player and he's a backup for them. Just like, Wow. Uh, so they are completely stacked. Carson Wentz is going to come back. He was MVP candidate last year. So if you lose to them again, I mean, does that mean that this was a bust? Does that mean that this this was just a complete waste of signing Kirk Cousins? How about New Orleans? They have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. They have an offensive line that's stacked. They've got one of the best young playmakers in the league. they got one of the best receivers. They drafted another defensive player when their defense was already growing. Marshawn Lattimore is a great cornerback. He's like a true shutdown guy already. The Rams added Indomitian Sue and Marcus Peters. To the number one offense in the league, like if you lose to these any of these teams, is that a is that a shame? Is it that you uh, busted out on this whole thing? No, it's. I wouldn't say that it is. I would say that that's just how football works when it comes down to one game sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that in Kirk Cousins' three years here, this year, 2019, 2020, the, the three years that are guaranteed for him to be here, they will have. Competitive teams, Super Bowl caliber teams for those three years. When you look out, who's going to be here? And of course, there's always Shuri Floyd situations that could come up with injuries and things like that. But if you look at the players, their ages, who your key players are, I have a tough time seeing it falling apart within the three years that Kirk Cousins is here. So yes, it is Super Bowl caliber team that you have. But when I think of Super Bowl or bust, I think this is their last shot. Right. I, I think of it as... There- New Orleans. Their window's not closing. New Orleans. This is your last shot almost for New Orleans because of Drew Brees. As we've discussed, though, the interesting dynamic here, though, 
is is statistically Cousins could be great in 2018. They could win 13 games again, which I don't think they, they will, but let's say they do. But they, the perception of success is what? To at least make it to that next step. Yeah. And so, so that's where, that's where to me, this conversation takes an interesting and dicey turn. Because if Cousins throws for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns and they win 13 games and get bounced in the second round or, or the conference championship game again, I think the perception ultimately, if you go up to Vikings fans that day and say, okay, what do you think? They're going to say, I expected a Super Bowl. Yeah. And yep. that and that's yep. where it's tough because the and if they were in the AFC, I think you could make a pretty good case that you know what, damn straight they should. But but you've got you know I mean you just added Khalil Mack to your division. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's what and that's why there is truth to Super Bowl or bust because the fans do expect that and you did go thirteen and three last year and I I think that a lot of fans to all the things I just said about the other great NFC teams and everything else I think they would say. Hey, we signed an $84 million quarterback to a team that was already 13 and 3. Don't give me the NFC is tough. So I, I could that's yes. why that's why I wrote it the way that I wrote it is that there is a lot of truth to it. I mean, when you have all these stars at one time, this is what you build for. This is the culmination of the Zimmer era, is this team. And yet the circumstances are very difficult in the NFC. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I've been going back and forth on this because I've heard it a thousand times. And every radio interview that I do, you know, we help each other, different radio stations call, and they'll ask you to come on and things like that. Every single time, it's, hey, Vikings Super Bowl or bust, right? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's that has to be the standard is Super Bowl aspirations is the way that I would put it, mm-hmm. that you deserve to be in that conversation to be a contender for the Super Bowl because you have a top five strength of roster overall. But the bust part of it is tough because it's just like, how am I supposed to tell what's going to happen if they get to the NFC Championship game against the Rams? If that doesn't work out, I don't think that the whole okay. the whole thing was a bust. I'm going to rephrase this question, and it's going to sound weird at first. But it, do you think the expectation of diehard Viking fan is Viking Super Bowl or bust, or more, much more specifically, Cousins Super Bowl or bust? Because cousins to me is the dynamic that makes this conversation, and that might that you know what that's probably not even fair. But given the contract, given the fact that the perception, right or wrong, is that Keenum now was such a good a good QB in 2017, who could potentially carry that play or could have into 2018, is the is the realistic thought process? Do you think if you were to get a Viking fan to narrow things down, Viking Super Bowl or bust or cousin Super Bowl or bust? I think the general perception, because they're coming off a 13-3 and three year, is 2018 Super Bowl or bust for, for most fans. The, I, I think that if we stood outside U.S. Bank Stadium and asked 5,000 fans whether they expect the Vikings to win the Super Bowl this year, like that's where they're putting their bar, I, I would guess that other than the ones who make a snarky comment about how they'll miss a field goal wide left, uh, you would get them to say, okay, yes. Yes, we do because of we came off thirteen and three, so we expect them to win the Super Bowl. So I I do think that there is that for this year that type of pressure. Um, but also, if they don't win the Super Bowl this year, then yeah, it becomes more and more pressure the longer you go on on Kirk Cousins to make this contract not a bust. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the end of it, it's not going to matter if he put up four thousand yards this time around. He's got he had three years in Washington and. 
you wouldn't have called his three years in Washington a bust because he overachieved from what anyone expected he could do. But if he goes three years here and it's nine and seven, seven and nine, eight, seven and one, well, then that's going to be a huge bust for what this contract. Oh, enormous, yes. But I, I think the, I think the one thing if you're a Viking fan that you you can hang your your hat on about where this franchise is currently is the fact that unlike 2009 into 2010 this is not a window shutting yeah. oh my god if we don't make it it's going to yep. be it's going to be 3 years and and that's the that's the one thing where i think the wolves and the vikings finally got this whole formula right because you got a coach who is trying to win now but just as importantly you, you got a gm who is trying to win now but also has has the f- future in mind i go back to Brian Robinson, Matthew, I don't think if this is three years ago gets cut. I don't think they can do it. I think that they I think they would have said he's too good a guy. We like him too much. He's influential in our locker room. And I think while cuts like that are tough now, I think you've achieved a, a place where the Vikings say we could develop this really good young player or keep B Rob. And and if that young player is going to go to Cincinnati and thrive, it makes no sense. So I give Spielman credit because I think that that this organization has come a long way in his tenure here as to how they perceive and think things through, and not allowing yourself to to see the the end of the road. And if you don't win by then, that's it. Because that's an incredibly tough thing to try and do. Yeah, yeah. And, and eventually it will happen for this team. And I think that my view on this situation has shifted to some extent um, just on on the whole, is it 2018 Super Bowl or bust, going all in on Kirk Cousins, uh, because they are able to keep all of their core players and seem to have a tendency to find other guys to fill in some spots or that are sort of the next guy who's coming through. And, and you know, the pass rushers, Weatherly and Bauer making the team, you know, Holton Hill shows up and, and makes the team as an undrafted guy. Yep. Uh, Mike Hughes shows a ton of progress early on. Uh, you know, you, you've got to hit on some of those guys to fill out the roster when you're spending a ton of money on all your key players. But the fact that all your key players in place are in their primes and under contract makes me think, well, okay, during the Kirk Cousins era, mm-hmm. you should be able to compete. Now, after his three years, I mean, this is way down the road, then you're talking about defensive players getting old and things like that. But you're like still that. developing guys, though. But they are, yeah. That, that, that's yeah, where I give them credit. If if you had kept Brian around, that's where you cut a guy, he goes elsewhere, potentially thrives, and in three years you're like, <laughs> well, now Brian's old and retired and you got nothing. Yeah. So, so I do... They, the only the only thing I really don't get, and this is it, is is when you do see the fact that this team was going to be this good, why you didn't draft a guard. That's the only thing. Mm-hmm. But as far as the drafts go and the strategy and the cuts go, it makes perfect sense. And and it also goes back to this. This is why you don't allow a coach to have control of the fifty three man roster. Yeah, and and you know they uh, they it, it, they really do have a good process. Because Zimmer is the smartest football guy around, and there's no question about it. No, Nobody says, well, maybe it's the GM who's smart. Maybe it's the coach who's smart. It's like it's obvious it's Zimmer's organization. So he lays out the grocery list 
and then the GM goes gets the groceries. So it's not like the GM is just giving him, right. hey, here's all these players, you got to work with them. It's Zimmer is telling him everything, and this is how it's been built. Zimmer is telling him everything he needs, right. and then the organization goes and finds those type of things, which is, I think, a good process for the way that that they've done it to build this roster. And they have so many players who are in their prime for the next couple of years to succeed that they can continue to compete for a Super Bowl. But if you're the person out there who goes into U.S. Bank Stadium week one and says, if this team doesn't appear in the Super Bowl this year, it's a total bust for me, I don't blame you because of the talent that they've put on the field. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd, at least till 1030, is uh, Zolgad Matthew Collar. Check out his uh, work, 1500ESPN.com, covering the Vikings and writing about RPOs constantly. 1500 RPO. We got it. We got it. No one uses it. It's outstanding. I love it. I I am excited to only talk about RPOs or when other stuff happens. Like if we talk any Wolves today, there's a a report that uh, Carl Anthony Towns could sign a short-term extension. Well, we got to talk about Carl Anthony Towns and the RPOs. Because everything is an RPO. What would the connection be? So if if we were to delve into a cat and the RPOs, how can we connect the RPOs to... uh, an NBA basketball player. It's easy. Or an NBA Carl player. has options. Oh, And I just like, like in football with the run-pass option, Carl has options. You know, you, you bring up the Wolves, man, and you talk about a frustrating team, and you talk about a dysfunctional situation. Here's the problem, and we've discussed this to death, I know by now, but if you're the Wolves, what the hell do you do now? You're about to sign Luol Dang, it looks like, right? Which just adds to Tibbs' growing list of guys from his Bulls days he loved. Cat's not happy. Jimmy don't like Cat and Andrew. I mean, what the? Let me uh, read you this from Brian Windhorst of ESPN talking about Cat. Okay. There's nothing happening right now. The fact that this isn't getting done yet is sort of eyebrow raising. To me, I believe he's going to sign his extension. There's never been a player who hasn't signed it. <laughs> But this is the Wolves, so there can always be a first. The question, again, to me will be, what type of deal is it? Is it a full five-year extension? Is Cat saying, this is where I want to be? Or does he take a shorter extension? That wouldn't be great. Which is the, now, now it's not a parallel because Kevin Love, so Khan, back in the days of having one, one max contract, Khan reserved it for Rubio. And wouldn't give it to Love. And so they signed Love to a long-term extension, which I think was a three-year deal with a player option on year four. Yeah. And that just basically started the clock ticking, right? Love's like, okay, I'm, I'll be gone. And uh, But the thing, but this is not good. with If Cat does a short term here but by his own choice, that is, uh, that is a really bad thing for this franchise. So here, here's more from basketball talk. Um, mm-hmm. The only way that Carl Anthony Towns could unilaterally leave Minnesota quicker than three years is accepting his regular $10 million one-year qualifying offer. But nobody has ever passed on a rookie-scale contract extension. Can you imagine, Judd? No one has ever done this. Yes. 
So it would yeah, happen in cut, Minnesota. <laughs> I'm going to cut you off right now and say I could absolutely see it. Once, once I read the words, no one has ever done this. Yes. Like this is what's happening. Yes, this is what's going to happen. Well, as Do- Doogie kept telling us, the fact he hasn't signed this makes no sense unless he just wants out. Unless he just wants to find a path out, which you just gave us. So he can sign. He can sign a five us. year. He could sign a three year. Yes. Or he could sign a one year. Any, and if he signs the one year, that'll be the first time. Anything less than awesome. the five. Anything less than the five year should set off bells, yeah. whistles, alarms, and everything else that they have at Target Center. But the three year gives you plenty of time to figure it all out. If if Carl Anthony Towns and his agent showed up at Target Center today, and said we need to meet with Glenn Taylor and Tibbs. And they walked in to Glenn's office and said, flat out, I want you to trade Butler. Can't play with him. I don't like him. What would you do? I would have to trade Butler. I mean, if he if he said that the only way I'm going to sign that five-year extension is if you move on from Jimmy Butler, then I don't think that I have a choice because Carl Anthony Towns is, is he 23 yet? 22. He's yeah, in that vicinity. And and as much as He's I was very young and very I was talented, frustrated by him when it came to the, his playoff performance, he had one of the best shooting seasons for a big man ever. Mm-hmm. And the guy is. Five years away from his prime still. He's 22. And he's, he's already, 22. he is already a dominant offensive player and is still five years away from the, like the true peak of NBA player, which is age 26, 27, right? Yep. He is still maturing, still coming along. He's still learning to play defense. No matter how many times you yell Carl at him, like that, that's, Carl. that's that's helping him push along. We need Manny for that, Declan. You're just not. Nah, as, it's um, true. I, I, don't I, Manny's the, so right. don't have the thick grindiness. I don't. I appreciate the try, though. Thank you. I think we need a little Carl and rotate and all that good stuff. Yeah, but but the point just being that like this guy is a franchise player, and you know Jimmy Butler is t- toward the end of his prime, or at least you know in his late twenties, and doesn't look like he's going to stay here long term. So if you got to cut bait with him, well, then that's what you got to do. Anything to keep Carl Anthony Towns here. I think if they walk in, if they walk in and say, Butler, it's Butler or me. Butler has to go. I, I say, thank you, gentlemen. I'll talk to you. They walk out. I turn to Tibbs and I say, you got two choices. You can resign yep. or you can trade Jimmy. Yep. And that's the only, but I think that's the only way that Butler gets traded. I think that's the only way that happens. Because more and more, it seems like the, there's a rift. Could we call it a schism? Oh, it's definitely schism. Uh, yes. Oh, I don't think you, I don't think it seems like I. I think you can go. So glad we could call it a schism. I think right now on this very station, fifteen hundred RPO, you can call it a schism. Okay, good. good you good. can call it a schism without any clarification and our qualifiers. And and I would like to also use rift. So there is a rift slash schism um, between Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. It's very clear that Jimmy Butler doesn't like the mentality of Carl Anthony Towns and that Carl Anthony Towns probably thinks Jimmy is intolerable to be around for 82 basketball games. I think that's a thousand percent correct. So if Carl indeed can't be around this guy, then find people that Carl can be around. That would be my solution. He's that important. Oh, I know. No, I would tell Tibbs either resign, you're fired, or trade Jimmy. All right, we are going to come back with Write That Downs from Matthew, from Declan, and from yours truly, TCL Broadcast Studios. Just the more good news about the Wolves keeps coming. 
Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN.